Hi, you're listening to Andrew Farris on NXS Access All Areas with Hayden and B. Check it out. Welcome to Annexos Access All Areas. My name is B, and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Annexos nerd Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums, and oh, so much more. Well, hello. Welcome to Nexus Access All Areas, episode 45, almost part two, where we dive deep into the X album, but also as an overall concept, uh, recognise this band uh, for their greatness, uh, have a, a community of friends and fan engagers who love this band as much as we do. B, I'm just going to shut up. How are you? How are you going? I, I thought you might have forgotten what, how to speak after two weeks, Hayden. It's been well, a while. Yeah, we, oh, okay, there's a lot of stubble going on as well. You've uh, not been well, showing you know, since. Yeah, I haven't had a show, but uh, the... <laughs> I, we have to live up to the look of my uh, new avatar, don't I? I've got to stubble on the avatar. That's <laughs> true. How cool is that? Back, thank you, Nick Egan. Apparently I've made it to avatar status and I thought I looked like Dave Grohl, which I do and I don't. But anyway, <laughs> uh, no, none of the music ability, uh, but maybe the, uh, the mouth to talk about music. So, um, But we, we had a quick apology to make, don't we, B? We, we, we missed a week, which is a bit of a rare thing for us, but it was very justified. Mm. Um, it was all your fault. Um, uh, yeah, totally my <laughs> fault. <laughs> <laughs> now I will I will declare and bit of this, bit of that. I, I shall declare that you know B does much more of the heavy lifting than me putting these podcasts together. So things like editing and post-production and putting it all into a nice sequence. I might have the ideas, but she sort of makes them sort of realize into reality. So B was very much under the weather last week, bedridden, I think. I was. Uh, so much so that even your children were suffered from uh, the, the happy B. Is that right? And your husband and work and everything like that, and the podcast equally. Yeah, yeah, I didn't work all week. Um, and even though I looked busy, I was actually busy in bed. The head was still going, but the body was not having any of it. So <laughs> yeah. I couldn't um, get out of the bedroom. So sorry, everybody, about last week. That was um, totally my fault. But then you quite tired too. So I gave you a week off. Well, you know, with the vocal cords have re-strengthened, uh, hopefully we, we, can, we can make up for it today. But uh, uh, I guess, well, I've never asked this before, B. but how's your in excess fortnight been? <laughs> <laughs> Apart from being in bed, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, a lot. So, uh, oh, gosh, don't know where to start, really. So I did do a little live thing. Did you see my little live thing? I did. I did. I did, yeah. Because I had a box from Florida. It's not every day I get a box from Florida. And I've had what, like, what I had the teapot the other week, and then this one arrived with some merch, and it is absolutely gorgeous. I'm supposed to send you one. So give us, a, back, give us a backdrop with it. What's it all about? So this the, the merchandise that's been made, and they're double-walled tumblers, and they are for your wine to keep it cold or your beer to keep it cold. And it does. I've road-tested it. It's fantastic. So it keeps all your ice cubes what. And what, what does it have to do with an excess? Is there a link there? Nothing. No, oh. it's got our logo on it. <laughs> oh, it's got our logo, right. <laughs> you got nothing. I'm like, well, let's just give a crap about what came from Florida. <laughs> what are you talking about? Okay, so it's branding. It's branding for our podcast, is it right? Have you not seen them? Um, look, you post a lot, B, and then my memory uh, vagues out a bit, but uh, I've seen something. 
and listeners. B's just got up and she's, you know, this is a great for, for radio. Uh, and she's bringing them over to the camera and showing me close and personal what they I'm are. Talking about me? Oh, just just just, <laughs> just pat- patting it out while you're going off together. Oh, okay. Yes, I did see that. They're very very cool. Oh, I uh, swear to God, these are fantastic. And so are we? Are we going to oh. give these out to? to no, we're not giving them out. They're expensive. Oh. Oh, right, okay. Sorry. <laughs> no, they're to be bought. They're to be bought. Okay. So um, yeah. So we've already sold ten, and they're not oh, even. Wow. Yeah, I know. Okay. I know. Everyone loves the red. Yeah, oh, the yeah, red's absolutely. the go, but um, I reckon that looks like a, a Guinness. <laughs> um, but they will be ready. So the website, yes, it's yeah. ready, everybody. Yeah. I'm not findable, though. So I'm still working on my, um, what is it, the um, surf optimize engine, blighty blah thing. Optimization, yeah, yeah. Search. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I keep pressing buttons and going, shove that thing out a bit more. But <laughs> um, so I'll have to put links and then you'll have to come on. And please, if you can help us out by commenting and liking um, things that I've put on there. The, what's in it for them with our website? What does it allow them to do, I guess, to engage? What's the benefit there? Yeah, well, for, for people that don't really like to come onto um, the social media like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, they can now find us and engage with us on there. Now, all the episodes will be up there, so they'll be titled from episode 43. I'm not going to go backwards, I must admit. So from now on, I'll be uploading all of those. Um, there'll be galleries going on there of pictures later on. We'll have the link there for the birthday party. Um, what else is there? There's merchandise to be bought. There's links to Richard's store and Clemo's book is ready to go. And it's just, it's going to be ongoing. There's going to be more and more exciting things happening on that. Um, links to sign the petition. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Excellent. It's a lot. So I guess it's, it probably sort of unites all the different platforms into one area and, uh, um, you know, allows people to sort of see what's going on both, you know, within our community, but also in the wider NXS community, I guess. Exactly. That's my my goal with this is it to be the hub and then for it to be um, like loosely if we've, we've left everybody else so we can all interact with one another. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, uh, I guess uh, part of that interaction is patrons, B, so it's probably this time of the week where we welcome patrons aboard and I'll throw to you. I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside, about 10,000 people at least. Hello. Hello to Nick Egan, to Pedro, Anne-Marie, Foxy, Felicia, Sarah, Laurie, Carmen, Sudi, Matt, Joe, Mandy, Linda, Danielle, Dr. Jim, Amanda, Leon, Lisa Urban, Lisa Calloway, Lisa Mack, Kathy, Carrie-Anne, Vern, Caroline, Tracy, Susan B, Susan P, David, Sandrine, Paul, <laughs> um, I'll keep going, I'll keep going, uh, Natalie, Joseph, Sarah, Warren, Ella, Amanda, Melissa, Ella, and Ryder. Phew, thank you for all of your patronage. Thank you. announce 
announce later on the new competition that we've got going. And also we've got the winners of the Mark Opitz competition too, which will be awesome. So we've got a few winners there that won that um, awesome book. Have you been reading your book or have you I had have. time? I you have. have. It's good, isn't it? A couple of pages a day, which is about as well uh, I've got time for. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, interesting insights. And, uh, yeah, I think in our fan engagement section at the end on the wrap, we will announce uh, a winner, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Also, I'd like to say that we found a promotion girl. Ah. Ah. Okay. Yeah, she'll be. Um, we'll be debuting her in the in the week. Um, right. I'm not sure if I'm going to put her on the uh, website, but she's definitely going to go onto the Facebook page. Right. So, what's the concept of a promotions girl? You got to wait, Hayden. I can right, see okay. you go. Oh, promotions girl. What's that? <laughs> the mind did boggle and wonder and wonder. You know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll you'll keep that in your uh, Christmas hamper, and we'll I see will. how that goes. All right. Yeah. Um, well, she's a combination of adorable, funny, and and to the point. Right. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Well, uh, last week we did talk, uh, well, the fortnight ago, we did go through a lot about X and the album. We played a lot of the songs and the music, and uh, it was interesting through our uh, platforms, just the songs that sort of connected with people. And because I guess it was, um, well, towards the middle or the, the second half of almost the second half of their career. It is probably an album that has some recency to it. So, uh, yeah, but a lot of those songs did sort of connect with people when we played them again, B. Mm, mm, I got a wrath. You got what? <laughs> I got told off. By who? <laughs> a few people are saying, how can you hate the record? I said I didn't say that. I said I so that's struggled. A bit of a long I struggled. I struggled. With a couple of songs, I think. I think you were pretty, pretty no, endorsing. all right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, look, we're going to go to part two today. So, you know, we, we talked about sort of the music side and just, you know, gave our views on the songs and things like that. But going to piece together today just the album itself and, and the legacy and, uh, you know, the commercial versus sort of the artistic sort of merits of mm-hmm. it and uh, really just dive deep into sort of how it performed and, and how it sits 30 years later, um, I guess, in the you know, annals of history, uh, B. So looking forward to sharing that with you. Yeah, looking forward to that one later. All right. What's the time for? The news. Hi, it's Carmen here from Wollongong, Australia. You're listening to the world's best in access podcast, in access access all areas, and now it's time for the news. All right, B. Well, uh, two weeks worth of news. I feel like we, uh, you know, if it was a, a TV national news show, we'd have to go from 30 minute bulletin to an hour. So uh, really? <laughs> I'll try not to waffle too long, but there is lots to talk about. Um, okay. I think when we last spoke, there was a little bit of fear uh, about Chartwatch. Um, we know that we lost Dua Lipa to the uh, chart conversation because mm. of uh, that song sort of uh, re-exiting or exiting the, the top 100 in America. But uh, the album at the last particular conversation was sitting at 50, right on the edge of falling out of the charts, B. Well, uh, the last two weeks, the album had a bit of a surge. So it uh, it had a spike. You know, we put a call out to listeners and granddaughters and future granddaughters and sons, and the album went from 50 to 34. Whoa. Uh, but week. then... But then they've advertised a little bit on the TV in Australia, haven't they? I don't know, have they? Yeah, they, they've put their name to, um, well, they put their song, um, Sometimes You Kick, to, to the, the AFL. A- AFL, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that would, like, you know, spur people on, like, who's that guy, that- bah, bah, bah. And then they've got the Lego coming up soon as well. Did you the see Lego. The, Yeah. I don't know about that. 
Ah, oh, yeah. So it's just come up on the official page. They've just showed you a little, um, little snippet there of um, oh, what was it? new is sensation. It, is it the show Lego Masters? They're putting this song. Is it to it Brick or? Masters? Lego Masters. Lego Masters. Yeah. Oh, must be Lego Masters. They've, yeah. got, they've also got the the ad for the Virgin Airlines and, and the Virgin like Airlines yeah. like on constant, isn't it? It's good. Yeah. So yeah, they're very uh, they're very much in the uh, in the public eye, aren't they? Yeah. Well, the album's gone 50 to 34, and then the, the, se- the second <laughs> week, uh, it did dip a fraction back to 37. So oh, that's not that. too bad. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's the most current sort of charts. But um, a bit of article watch. Uh, our friend of the podcast, Clemo, was hmm. interviewed by uh, the Northern Beaches Review, the same no. publication, yeah, that Tim and Kirk, we know Kirk loves an interview, uh, happened to appear <laughs> in a couple of uh, weeks ago that we mentioned. Well, uh, I think Clemo has joined the Media Wars uh, battle. He's come in with his article with the uh, Northern Beaches and gone, okay, Kirk and Tim, you might be uh, <laughs> international superstars, but let's, let me just set the record straight where you guys started. And I'm going to just tell everybody about how I put you up in my warehouse and what you owed me. And Really? Yeah, I missed gets, that. You didn't tell yeah, me. He, he, uh, he does a full debriefing there and just... Uh, just let's Kirk know that there's another there's another sheriff in town with media wars. There's Clemo <laughs> with a 22 gun blazing. <laughs> <laughs> Northern beaches, watch out! It's going to yeah, get so, uh, But uh, yeah, so there's that that was sort of occurring there, which is good. In terms of sort of gigs, I can mention that in my sort of state or city of of Melbourne, uh, John Stevens, who's touring down here, uh, has sold out a second night at the Chelsea Heights Hotel, which is quite a big venue, and. Uh, Tickets have gone on sale for a second night with uh, John, who's playing uh, the NXS and Noiseworks collections. Um, and uh, again, each week we will highlight some of the uh, NXS music being played live around the world. I think there's plenty of tribute acts, um, both locally here in Australia and uh, plenty overseas. But um, uh, more official artist in the sense of John's uh, just announced that second gig, B. Uh, awesome. You missed out on, didn't you? Shut and, up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Thank, thank God he keeps going and going and going. Hopefully he'll come back around again next year. Really having a good show, isn't he? They're nearly all sold out. Yeah. Well, I think John, you know, just, you know, with COVID and everything, it must have been real hard because he's, He's a real tripador, you know. He just mm. he's just old school. He wants to play live, and um, that's yeah. you know it's a lot. It's how they earn their dollars these days, but uh, mm. that's also you know where they really feel they're most comfortable playing live, mm. I guess. Yeah, yeah, he he enjoys it. It's got a great band behind him as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Morning, everybody. Sorry to see you go, man.
talked a, a few weeks back about Michael Gadinsky, who is sort of, you know, the godfather of, uh, of music here in Australia with his influence on all the artists and bands that we played and things. Um, well, he, there was a, a private funeral uh, back early in the month of March, but uh, a couple of nights ago in Melbourne at the, probably one of the biggest venues we have where the Australian Open Tennis is played, they had a, a testimonial celebration of the life of Michael, which, uh, you know, I guess as a gathering uh, ended up being uh, 7,500 people. I know. Uh, which was just around half of the venue's capacity. It would have been 15,000 there. I mean, you had to yeah. go into a ballot to go to this thing. Yeah. Um, such was his popularity. With COVID, obviously, there was sort of restrictions as to how many people could, could fit into the venue. Mm. But as a sort of memorial-type sort of service, it really garnered uh, a lot of international sort of uh, interest a lot of local interest and things and mm. just for those you know I, I guess for those who don't know Michael and some of these guys behind the scenes you know they are sort of behind the scenes guys but you know they make the tours happen they make the albums you know get out to, to all of us and the people that contribute to this show well let me just sort of share some names with you um, Ed Sheeran flew in from the UK had 14 days in isolation and then Got a tattoo, uh, something to do with Michael Gadinsky. Came down, yeah, came down and performed live. Uh, stumbled a, a little bit because he was so emotional oh. uh, and was such a friend, and oh. uh, ended up playing a duet with Kylie, uh, Kylie Minogue. Oh. And they did they did the locomotion as a duet. Any significant Australian artist that was obviously in the Mushroom label were there, and most of those played. But uh, internationally, uh, there were video tributes from all around the world, and. And if you had to mention some of the biggest names, well, let me just share some of these people who gave some heartfelt video tributes to the audience and things. Uh, we had Sir Elton John. We had Sting, who played uh, a little live little guitar thing. We had uh, Dave Grohl, you know, was was um, really indebted to what Michael did for, for the Foo Fighters, especially in their early days in Australia. Obviously, I mentioned Ed Sheeran there. We had Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Uh, gave a really heartfelt sort of um, eulogy, in a sense, uh, from there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I guess just the the, the sense of reach and is Jimmy Barnes there as well. Yeah, he was there. Jimmy, he, was up there yeah. he wrote a song in the last two weeks and dedicated it. Now, uh, yeah, awesome. yeah. So you know, again, as I said, this this stuff probably you know will be out in some sort of streaming format, but it really was a, an event. Uh, it was really it was a tribute night, and uh, uh, yeah, it'd be great if uh, people around the world can get to see it. Um, and do yourself a favor, you know, dig deep on some of the Australian artists within Mushroom who. You may not know, but a legends down under and were part of the community within excess and had massive success, I guess, along uh, with, with our favourite band locally mm. uh, and what they did. And now it's time for Media Wars. All right, Media Street B. I, I hinted earlier we have a new sheriff in town, Clemo, is coming to our uh, <laughs> But um, look, Andrew is do- look new album out and tour. Andrew is on a tear at the moment. Uh, can I just share some of the places Andrew's spoken with in the last uh, seven to twelve days? Go on. Because so we heard that there's a bit of rumour he may be coming to our podcast soon. Um, you know, bit of a rumour. But. Uh, we have been put in a queue, which is fine, uh-huh. um, because we're just this little thing here in Australia, so um, mm-hmm. eventually. But he has been speaking to Triple M Riverina. Now, that's the outback of New South Wales, the Riverina mm-hmm. area between sort of Canberra and Victoria. Yeah. Uh, probably very country and western roots music there, so probably chatting to his constituency now. The Noosa Head newspaper, 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the uh, Cleveland.com News Trial, uh, the Newcastle Herald, which is in Australia. He even did a, there's a great uh, thing online with uh, Nightlife ABC Australia, I think it is. Uh, there's a 60 minute sort of tribute uh, of Andrew talking about his favorite songs. Hmm. Uh, that people can download or stream or open up on your, your platforms and things. So that's quite interesting there in itself. Andrew's also, which uh, I guess a lot of uh, bands go through this when they release an album, will suddenly become subject to reviews. And the first review I saw today was in the Geelong Advertiser, which is the second biggest city in Victoria behind Melbourne. And he got a three and a half out of five. Uh, so uh, they uh, were very endorsing. They didn't really say much too negative about the album, but they, they were very, very endorsing of that, uh, which is good. And it's, bit of new. it's a good album. Have you listened to it yet? Yeah, I have listened to it all. It's great. Yeah, it's really good. No, you have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have. <laughs> I haven't listened to it all. <laughs> no, but, it's a really uh, good. Like saying, like it's really not my thing, as in country. I've actually, yeah, it's nice. It's it's quite a love song album, I would say, more than anything. Yep. Yep. Love, lo- love here and love there. It's good. Well, it'll be interesting to the songs played live, and and sometimes yeah. you go to a concert you know i'm gonna dig deep on the album because i got my ticket in the last I week know, after me. got my ticket yeah, please come to melbourne so um fingers crossed but uh yeah so i'm gonna try to get that album listen and so when i go to the concert i've got a bit of a basis of what the tunes are uh, well i've just heard from lazotts actually that their restrictions have allowed them to have more people in the venues yeah. so um i might be able to have some more people at my table Oh. We in Melbourne uh, literally yesterday became COVID-free. We don't have a single Yay. case in the, in the whole state of Victoria, which, look, for our international sort of, uh, you know, listeners and those around Australia, uh, we don't want to sound too bragging, but, you know, we were one of those sort of cities very affected, you know, this time mm. uh, six months ago. But, yeah, we literally have every case is cured. There's no one with it now. Uh, tonight is the first night, I think, for X amount of you know months and things like that, where we don't have to wear a mask going into yeah. retail strips and things like that. So you know, At last. just forward. just hope the rest of the world can catch yeah. up with it. Yeah, 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 that's right. But uh, yeah, look, that's a, probably the gist of the news of the week. So uh, looking forward to uh, the listeners, you know, exploring some of those articles. You know, we think that. You know, one of the reasons we share those with you is that we want to have you be able to sort of learn more about Andrew. And I, I, I learn a lot about the band from reading. You know, I yes. learn a lot through just, you know, those particular times, not downloading, but just reading and getting mm. publications. And now that everything's at your fingertips, you don't generally have to pay for a lot of this stuff unless it's behind a paywall. Um, but, yeah, go, do yourself a favour, dig deep, have a listen, have research some of the stuff. And a lot of the stuff does repeat itself because, you know, they ask the same cliche questions, but you always find a little nugget or two you didn't know about. But go Absolutely. by the album. Absolutely. Do yourself a favour. Do yourself a favour. Hey, this is Tim Farris, and you're listening to Access All Areas with Hayden and B. Hey. Now it's time for Topic of the Week. Sponsored by Tilly and Wilbur, providing unique Australian design and affordable expressive wear. They make ethical choices one tea at a time by using sustainable quality clothing, supporting fair trade and using recycled packaging. Use the code INEXCESSPOD for 20% off your first purchase at tillyandwilbur.com.au. 
friends alone. Their albums, videos and live shows are what rock music's all about. In Excess. Here's X with three hit singles in and the best is yet to come. The X Factor in excess. All right, well, uh, X Part 2B, we're going to talk a little bit about just the album, the legacy, and uh, really get into some sort of nitty gritty um, stuff about this. Uh, we dealt with the songs last week, and I think, you know, they speak for themselves, and, you know, I think for us, there were a lot of uh, killer tracks on there, a little bit of filler in parts, but not to the extent with some other bands, you know, really have three, four hit singles and load up with filler. I thought what I could try and do for the listeners who were around at that time or those who weren't weren't around at that time is just give a bit of a backdrop of where the musical scene was then. And um, I guess, you know, NXS had sort of hit, hit heavy with kick in 87 and 88 and even into 89 with the tour still sort of almost going into early 89. The X album came out around sort of, I think, August, September 1990. Uh, obviously recorded Rhinoceros with Chris Thomas again. And um, there'd been probably about a 12-month gap where they, you know, essentially sort of separated from touring and uh, all the daily sort of in excess commitments and went off and did other projects. And we've talked about this a lot. You know, Michael did Max Q and, um, and uh, Gary went off and did Absent Friends. Uh, which uh, had some hit singles in Australia. Andrew went off and did stuff with Jenny Morris. Um, you know, Kirk and, and Tim did their own sort of things at the time. And John was always probably just doing his own writing and recording. Uh, but they effectively had that year off. Um, I think even John might have done some stuff with Richard Clapton, actually. But the bottom line when they sort of came back, you know, what was the industry like? Well, I thought I'd just share with the listeners these were the artists, both on a commercial level and on a critical level, that were. Uh, parading sort of the soundscapes on radio and MTV. So I might start off with some of the uh, the, the high-flying commercial artists that basically in excess were competing for sort of radio filler, radio spots for or video uh, videos at the time uh, on MTV and things. These were the sort of the artists that uh, commercially-wise were selling lots of records or lots of singles and probably reflected a little bit of where the music scene was at. So um, B, there could be a couple of funny ones here. So um, I am going to warn you. Okay. Let me start off with uh, uh, a band called Warrant with their hit single Cherry Pie. Um, I remember Cherry Pie. What was the band called? Oh, uh, look, it doesn't deserve going into. Uh, let's just say <laughs> let's, that. Let's just. Yeah, it was the coming and going of Warrant, literally. Um, All right, okay, gone. Uh, bon Jovi had probably, uh, you know, had come back with their sort of second, or well, maybe their second major album, probably might have been third or fourth in their career. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aerosmith were, were quite big that year uh, in 1990 with um, uh, the album Pump, uh, et cetera there, uh, and even having a song that um, uh, competed and won against in excess of the Grammys, which was uh, Janie's Got a Gun. Uh, which beat Suicide Blonde for that uh, Grammy. Uh, Poison, uh, Bon Jovi, Skid Row, uh, Roxette, uh, Heart, who were coming back with their sort of middle-of-the-road oh, rock. God, yeah. Phil Collins was still, uh, you know, parading the charts. Uh, <laughs> Michael Bolton oh <laughs> was in the sweet spot of his career. Uh, then we had our sort of, you know, move into things like Vanilla Ice and MC <laughs> Hammer. Uh, Def Leppard had had a follow-up album called Adrenalize, which was a follow-up to their Hysteria album. So commercially speaking, that... Hang on, that's more American though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that was, that, I was, that wasn't in my charts, I tell you now. 
but uh, you know, that's the stuff that was dominating sort of a lot of the charts around that time, you know, in America. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> well, I've done my research and uh, in America, yeah. That, well, I wasn't in America, so well, well I remember I remember the time like you know, it's like when something like Guns N' Roses had come out around that era, you get a lot of emulating bands or record companies try to sign everybody up who's got long hair and plays loud music. And that's where you end up with some bands like this. But um, um, it was an interesting sort of space. When, when the decade changes, you know, history is littered with musical changes. It's almost like a, a sense of optimism when you go into a new decade. You know, you think about the 50s going into the 60s or the 60s going into the 70s and the 70s to the 80s. I mean, a new decade often creates a sense of new horizons, new beginnings uh, and a new sort of uh, cultural paradigm. And um, around this particular time, if you think about the year, obviously 1990 when the album came out, it was a year sort of behind probably some of the more seminal albums uh, and musical albums that, sh- that sort of shifted things in the next year, which was things like uh, R.E.M.'s Out of Time, uh, U2's Uptown Baby, uh, Nevermind by Nirvana, uh, Pearl Jam with 10, um, you know, Alice in Chains, that grunge movement. 1990 felt like a bit of a holding pattern year, you know, and a lot of these sort of artists, when you look back in hindsight, et cetera, there, you know, critically speaking, not a lot of this stuff has held up very well, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of these sort of hit songs and albums in that era. They're very dated. Um, a lot of them are, were very much part of a movement. A lot of them were very hair metal, soft rock type sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and it exists, you know, compete at, we're never trying to fit in with a particular time. I always felt their music generally reflected, okay, will this song sound good in 20, 30 years' time? And, you know, I guess that was sort of the commercial competitors they faced. Critically speaking, well, that's a different sort of set of criteria, B. You know, when you look at critical acclaim, here's some of the bands or artists, and there may be a reference to some, you know, people from the UK here, but um, these are some of the bands and, and, and albums that around that same time in excess was competing with on an artistry level, um, and, you know, a form of artistic expression, you know, is, is what you put on an 11 sort of song album. And these were the albums that were definitely that year, 1990, um, looked back on and at the time, you know, favourably by critics. So Sonic Youth had a, a, an album called Goo. Uh, Jane's Addiction had their sort of ritual album. Uh, Public Enemy had Fear of, uh, of a Black Nation. Uh, you had uh, the Pixies with Bossa Nova and they were in that sort of sweet sort of spot as well. Uh, Living Colour had Time's Up. The, in the UK, Depeche Mode came out with Violator. You would have loved that one, B. Violator did, by actually. Depeche Mode. Yeah. Which had, you know, Personal Jesus and Enjoy the Silence loved and that. Yeah. all that sort of stuff on it. Uh, the Replacements were sort of that indie sort of band from, I think, uh, sort of mid America there were still looked upon, you know, uh, favorably. Um, the Black Crows came out that year and were probably the, one of the big American bands with that sort of southern bluesy thing going. So they sort of made their way in. And Sinead O'Connor uh, yeah. made her sort of arc in the world there, you know, Irish Sinead. And, uh, and Madonna. Comet. Um, yeah, well, Madonna was still relevant then. She came up with sort of, uh, I think it was a greatest hit to the Immaculate Collection that year. Immaculate she, Collection, yeah. Yeah. She came out with Rescue Me and then Vogue and a few other things with the Dick Tracy soundtrack. And I was um, listening to the the Charlatans. Do you remember the Charlatans? Remember them, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they came out with their album then, 19 October. Yeah. So I guess... Looking at that particular time, when a when a band's sort of coming out and putting something in into the environment, let's look at the pressure the band were under. You had a record company that probably has essentially come off the kick album, and you know uh, MTV success, Grammy nominations, you know world domination. They were the biggest band in the world. So we talk about the music business. Um, no doubt, 
uh, a band like NXS had to serve two masters. One, they probably had to serve, you know, those were financing, you know, the album. That is the suits and the record companies and, you know, the stadia fill and, um, and you know, commercial sort of realities. You know, you need a hit album and you need exposure and you need hit singles to turn around and generate, you know, activity and stuff like that. So that would have yeah. been sort of a, a pressure they were under and obviously, uh, you know, probably had to fulfil some sense of commerciality when they were coming off kick. Mm-hmm. At the same time as a band like them, you know, they were always pretty much liking to self-finance a lot of what they did. So they weren't totally indebted to the suits and things. So something that Mark Opitz said in the previous podcast was that in excess for paid for all things themselves. So that way they sort of owned it and had cr- yeah. a little bit more creative control, Yeah, which, which I guess is reflective in the fact that I don't think they ever sort of released a sellout album where, you know, the sense of the word where they sold out their you know, artistic credibility. But, you know, when this particular album came out, you know, they probably had that inner thing going, well, the world's going to be watching, the world's going to be listening, you know, everybody's going to go, well, what can they do after kick? You know, have they got something else in them? Is there a, a, a left turn that they can take? Is there an artistic jump uh, in the sonics and in the writing and in the material that would reflect an artist three years later? Because... Mm. A lot of the great artists, I talk about the second album lift and, you know, having relevancy over multiple decades and having, you know, particular uh, uh, achievements, not just on one album, but backing it up is why, you know, you've seen certain artists, you know, uh, I mentioned like Bruce Springsteen, Elton John, whatever, have 50-year careers because they've been relevant in, in more than one decade. That's right. So let's look at the singles. Let's look at what was released and let's see if this sort of stacks up a little bit within that particular aim. So uh, Suicide Blonde, which we talked about last week, was the first song. And um, I know a bit of a favourite of uh, Mark Opitz off the album, but uh, uh, from a chart perspective, uh, it hit number two in Australia. Um, yeah. I think it debuted there at the time. I remember buying it on a vinyl 45 and yes. playing it. And my, my, my dearly departed mother was on night shift at the time and uh, I had to play it on lo-fi or low, not a high, loud hi-fi, but it was on, I, I was, how, how do you jump up and down in your house when it's on about four, not 11? Hello, uh, yeah. So, yeah, so, uh, yeah, sorry, I remember that. Um, the old, uh, that particular track in America went to number nine uh, from a, a debut point of view and sort of kept up their run of top 10 singles. Uh, the UK had hit 11. Uh, but interestingly, it hit number one in Canada, and oh. we'll talk more about that later. But uh, uh, definitely springboarded things into Canada with that. They followed Must up. Must have that had good DJs playing it. Hey, you reckon? You're going to tell Probably. me more about that? Probably. Don't, I don't know. <laughs> don't give it away, B. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But then disappear was the second single came out, and uh, um, I just remember from that intro of disappear, absolutely loving, and I still think it sounds fresh and great. And yeah. I guess it's a, a John Farris sort of composition with some Michael lyrics. But uh, uh, in Australia, that uh, only went to 23. However, mm. in America, went to number eight. Um, and I remember, the, I remember the time going, well, it's really justice because it's such a great song and, you know, second top 10 hit in America with it and uh, in excess again, you know, it was the sixth top 10 hit in a row in America in terms of uh, consecutive releases. Yeah. Um, in the UK, it hit 21. Um, but again, it was sort of, you know, consolidating in excess, you know, in terms of getting in that top 20, 30 and on top of the pops and all the major shows. Yeah. In Canada, it hit number one. <laughs> 
That's excellent. Yeah. So, uh, again, a bit of a theme happening here for that second second single. Thirdly wise, now I'm going to talk a little bit about Bitter Tears because that was released in Australia and America as the third single. And in Australia, it hit only 36. So it was definitely sort of uh, down. What's going on in Australia? They well, weren't... You know, Yes, it's quite have. it's quite common for most of you know when you release four or five singles off an album you will get a law of diminishing returns that when people buy the album they don't always need to buy the single anymore so you will get a, a small deduction I think on every subsequent release um, mm-hmm. uh, I think there's only been a few bands that I th- can think of like their third or fourth or fifth single of an album became some of the biggest songs but, so I think but who were both the, uh, it's like thirty five people like <laughs> what what what. I mean, Rick on. Astley was doing well at the time. Oh, Jesus, your favorite. Don't even bring his name up to me. Yeah, cry for help. He was definitely cry for help. So um, uh, <laughs> he's never going to give up, is he? No, boom, boom. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, whenever you need somebody, he'll be around for you. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, so thirty-six in Australia. Um, now, here's the bit of the dent. Uh, it hit only 46 in America. And, uh, uh, you know, that, yeah. So this is their break of their six top tens in a row. Um, it hit 30 in the UK and it hit 13 in Canada. So uh, from that sort of point of view, I guess. Did it come uh, out too quickly? Look, I don't think it should have been released as the third single and maybe mm. it shouldn't have been released as a single particularly. They're... There are other stronger songs. Now, one of them will relate to in a moment with one of the next singles, but uh, this was a perfect chance to release The Stairs, you know, as the third single, in my opinion. A great film clip, great song. And I know B, uh, you're slightly ambivalent, maybe more the intro. Uh, you lose, lose a bit of focus there. This this one sort of, you know, to me, was the wrong release as a single. I think it curbed the momentum and it was proven sort of that way uh, on its chart selections. Um, it's a song that's grown on me over time. So it's not like I dismiss yeah. it. I still think it... Sounds great. It's a classic, um, yeah. But it's, uh, it was one that probably, um, just as it sat sort of in the middle. Went over ever, everyone's heads. Maybe, yeah. Sounds of it. Mm. Um, well, like but, you say, they'd all bought the album by then, yeah. maybe. Mm. Well, here's the thing. By my side's the next single, and in Australia that was released fourth, and as a ballad, that film clip, for those who, who do know, was filmed in the Sydney Opera House, and Michael's wearing the, sort of the purple maroon type of suit, yeah. and the band uh, with the Sydney Philharmonic Orchestra, they're all dressed in suits, looking really sharp. Um, and it's a really monumental clip, really classy sort of clip. Mm-hmm. Now, in Australia, that meant that the fourth single went to number 23, so if Bitter Tears hit 36, this sort of was a bounce back up. And being a ballad and in the sort of tradition of Never Tear Us Apart, uh, it's a song that's really resonated and been still a relevant song for them in Australia here. Yes. Uh, and a bit of a fan favourite here. In the UK, however, they released that third over there and weirdly enough, it only hit 42 there. But here's, in Canada, hit 54. Ooh. But it was never, I believe, and maybe uh, our friend M.M. will contradict me, but my understanding is that it was never released in America. And I think this is a big, big reason where the momentum of the band in America was lost. They, they had the two top 10 hits in America, you know, with, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, suicide Blonde and Disappear. But this song being such a great ballad and such a great clip and Michael looking sharp and whatever there was never released as a single there. Like this would have, you know, if they had got gone on TV and promoted this and put yeah. it on movies and all sorts of stuff and things, you know, it would have absolutely should have been a smash hit over there in the Never Tear Us Apart tradition. It's such a big 
big song, isn't yeah. it? That you and think I just, that everyone should have this. And song I just sit directly company and let them down. Like, yeah. like, you know, guys, this is the ballad. You know, sometimes the ballad is often the biggest hit on an album. You think back to bands like Coldplay and even you too, you know, they yeah. released the, the single one was the third so single. Interesting those facts, especially the um the fact that um Canada came out bang bang. What was it? One, two, three, and then it got lost after that. Yeah. Well, you know, Canada only made 54, but it was yeah. the fourth, fourth single there. But but in terms of just, you know, it, it, you live in Australia, this is a song played here all the time, but, um, you know, Michael looks great in the clip. The band looked great. The song's fantastic. The big ballad sound, you know, three-minute, three minute, you know, um, radio loves three-minute songs. You know, it's got that never tear us apart, you know, ballad feel. Yeah. But even living in England before I got here, it was a big tune. Yeah. Where where did it sit in England? Well, I hit 42 there, but it was part of... Like it was, yeah. yeah, it was played a lot. Well, again, it was that sort of part with X and Live Baby Live and Welcome mm. When it's just really getting big in in the UK. But um, I really think this was a, a a missed opportunity in America where you know it could have it should have been another top ten hit, top five hit for them. And suddenly, you know, people were going, okay, well, that that song's going to get me into the album, or that song's going to maybe we're going to go to the concert and things because mm. some people with music, you know, one song's one favorite and it's another one's less favorite, so. Mm. Yeah, that to me was a, a real momentum killer and, and a real record company uh, uh, faux pas of my, my thoughts anyway. Um, the next single was The Stairs. However, it was not so much a single off X. It was more of a live version of Live Baby Live, and I think it was released in Holland. So uh, we have seen this on the the, uh, the collectors with Pedro and David, and I think uh, maybe Carrie Ann, she might have the, the Dutch connection. She might have that as well over there. I don't know, but... Uh, uh, again, not so much an official uh, album single. Um, I think the album version of The Stairs was the B-side of the live version oh. um, when it was released in Holland. But, yeah, they were sort of the major sort of singles off the album uh, in terms of sort of interaction. Um, you don't hear many of the other songs in Australia off the album. In fact, you know, not really at all. Like they would be those major four singles would be the ones that get played in Australia um, and I think overseas uh, as well. Yep, agree there. Okay, and let's have a little backstory from Nick Egan. Ah, so X. After the success of Kick, there was a little bit more of a budget to do on um, on X. I wanted to bring my own photographer with me this time, although I love working with Grant Matthews. I wanted to bring somebody out from America, and I worked with a, I'd been working with a guy called Michael Hausband, who was had a great reputation. He was a great portraiture photographer, did a lot of men's fashion, GQ magazine, and everything. So he's kind of very suitable for that for this cover. And he, I worked with him on um, the Iggy Pop blah 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 album cover. He did that with me, and the um, Psychedelic Furs, and another band called Book of Love. And and so it was very black black and white was his main forte. He was, like I said, he's really good with men. He managed to make them look kind of masculine, but kind of, um, you know, fashionable at the same time without looking too effeminate. Anyway, so we went to, we went down to Australia to do that. And um, I actually stayed uh, with Michael at the Connaught, which is a exclusive apartment building on the end of Hyde Park. And it was about five or 10 minute walk to Rhinoceros Studios. 
And I just remember when I was when I was down there, me and Michael and Lisa Collins had been out to see the crowded house at the Horton Pavilion, and we were driving back from there in a taxi. And as we were approaching the um, the uh, Connor, Michael had this kind of sudden vision about the Connaught used to be where the Paris Theatre was. Now, I don't know anything about the Paris Theatre because it was before my time, but apparently the Paris Theatre was where a lot of bands played and it was a, a big venue for, for up-and-coming bands. And Michael started laughing hysterically in the, in the car because he said, you know what, I've just realised. He said, I played in a protest against the developers coming in to knock down the Paris Theatre to build this new condominium apartment with Midnight Oil. And we were like, and he said, it was very like, yeah, stop the developers. Yeah, you know what, give us back our theatre. And he started laughing at the irony that here he was now living in, not only living in the Connaught, but living in Kerry Packer's son's apartment. And I think that's a great thing about Michael. He saw the irony of it all and it's like hypocrisy of it all and I just remember that being a particularly funny story that he could laugh at himself for, for that he said we're never going to be Midnight Oil so I stayed with Michael and we, we, we went out but I went to the studio with Kick I was I came into the studio more towards the mixing stages of the album when they were doing the last mixes and everything so so I didn't actually get to see any of the band work but, but on the X I saw them actually recording a lot of the stuff and, and I saw the band and the dynamic of how the band worked and with Chris Thomas, it was great with them. But the one thing I saw of Michael that I thought was interesting was I, I, I watched how he developed a song in, in his head and it was Disappear, in fact. I remember being in the, in the booth doing um, Disappear and he didn't have all the words. So, so that whole do 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 that was nearly the whole lyric at one point. And he just had the chorus disappear and he didn't have a lyric in between. I remember him doing the syncopation of the, the, the song and then later he wrote the lyrics to fit within that, that, that little um, scat thing he did. Um, so it was good watching, watching that and watching these, because I'd seen him live, obviously, and I'd seen him go on stage, but I'd actually seen Michael actually recording in a recording studio or the band. Um, so it was very much more a part of the recording of that. Album. What was quite interesting for me, B, was when we looked did a bit of a Wikipedia search, and you know the band has gone on to sell you know over sort of 50, 60 million albums, and Wiki seems to sort of add five more million albums <laughs> in a couple of weeks. But uh, um, look, they have it at X selling over ten million copies, which probably makes sense because if Kick got close to twenty, and uh, you know uh, they've done you know 55, 60 million in their career. Well, you've got to sort of slice up those remaining nine, ten studio albums and greatest hits to yeah. to try find forty more million albums. So, you know, at the time, I think it sold two or three million in America and a lot in Europe and then through you know Africa and overseas and things. So, uh, if you think from a commercial instinct point of view, having an album that sells ten million copies around the world is uh, a commercial uh, achievement. And I think you know, in terms of consolidating off kick, you could say commercially speaking, this album sort of hit its mark. Albeit, it wasn't the smash that kick was it probably yeah. half of what kick did in America and, you know, um, and some other regions, but it was a consolidator, uh, to what kick had achieved. It was a successful album still though, wasn't it? Yeah. That's what yeah. you're saying. It's just not as big as kick. Yeah. Um, 
Now, what I'd like to sort of share with the listeners a little bit, and, and I want to talk a little about the, the artistry. And um, Inexcess have d- different sort of little sort of career sort of sections. Now, if you think about their first two albums, they were that really scar English, you know, uh, influence uh, type sound, if we remember. And then then they had that uh, period with Mark Opitz and Nick Lornay for, um, you know, Shabu Shabar and The Swing. And that's a little era, era in itself where that's really slick, managed production, mm-hmm. getting the right sounds out, some great songwriting, some real versatile sounds. Uh, and it's like that like pre-international fame almost era. Mm. Um, if you look at Listen Like Thieves through to Kick, through to X, it's that sort of triumvirate of albums, that three sort of tiered uh, uh, albums that all came under the Chris Thomas, you know, production. And it's probably their most polished commercial yeah, pop, sure. you know, sort of period. And then as we sort of, you know, all know, they then went back with Mark, you know, with Welcome uh, and Full Moon, and we'll, we'll talk about those albums later. But I think artistic-wise, if I look back 30 years later and say to myself, okay, well, is this an album, a landmark album? Is it something that's seen in their own sort of canon as an artistic statement? I would say the answer would be no. I would say as a collection of songs and as a cohesive sound, and, you know, varied with, you know, the harmonica and a few different sort of dance sounds and a few different instrumentations things. It wasn't sort of, you know, the the uh, the breakout uh, artistic statement that probably, you know, in hindsight, they probably wanted to achieve. And I think Michael, yeah. I think I think the band were proud of the album, but I think, you know, in terms of its legacy, a few years later, Mike said, oh, look, it probably was a bit polite. And I think what he meant by that was that, that's about right, actually, isn't it? Yeah, he goes, yeah. I, think, I think it was maybe a bit too polite. And when, I think what he was really saying was, it, it you know, it, it was it edgy? Was it? Did it confront the audience? Did it no. totally challenge people down a different way? No, but no. it was sort of a maturing of, you know, six guys who had gone off tour, conquered the world, you know, came back with a more reflective, introspective sound a bit. You know, it's a mature sound. It's, it's a polished sound. It's, you know, lyrically and vocally. Uh, I think lyrically it takes on some some really more mature themes. I think, you know, uh, Kick was probably on a lyrical level breezy, little sound bites and little lyrical phrases and things like that. Well, I think. It's like a fun album, wasn't it? It's a yeah, fun commercial yeah. album, whereas this was a commercially yeah, I, yeah, I, I think, uh, like mature album, like you say. Well, Michael's one of the principal songwriters really on most of the, the stuff, so... You know, we had the Iraq war around that time and, and uh, you know, a lot of the global stuff that was happening, Mike was seeing things like faith in each other and uh, disappear. And the themes and the sort of the, the tone of the album was um, a little bit darker, mm. if I could sort of from a Shades point of view. Now, you know, at the time I remember listening to it and going, I really like the fact that it's this and it taught me a lot about music and things like yeah. that. And I could see the sort of the, the, the departure from kick. Some people say, oh, it's kick part two and this, this, and this. Well, maybe sonically, you know, sound-wise, it has some elements like that. Um, it definitely wasn't the musical leap that Welcome was or the musical leap that sort of Shabu Shabar was from the earlier albums. But um, you got the same producer. You got that three-album sort of window there where Chris, you know, they were, had that commercial sort of interest and that sort of uh, critical type of interest. But if we just have to look at it now and go, okay, how many of these songs have been covered in the last 30 years by certain artists? Well, there's not many. And no. I'm not saying that's a criticism, but in some ways what it means is it's not held its own in the cultural zeitgeist. It's not been an influential album mm-hmm. and it has been something that has necessarily inspired, you know, millions of people to pick up a guitar. Now we look back to the kick album. We look back even probably to Shabu Shabu and some of the other ones. 
probably some of those songs when they've been more covered and there's been more yeah. influences there. I mean, Don't Change has been played by Bruce Springsteen through the No Doubt to everyone, right? You know, Never Tear Us Apart, Need You Tonight. I mean, they've all been sort of covered. Yeah. So, so again, I'm not saying it's, it's, a, it's the worst thing in the world, but um, often when we look at an album, we look at sort of a, an era or a period, um, I think in terms of what they were up against and some of the artists at that particular time, they held their credibility. They held. Uh, they didn't. They didn't submit to a format like that. Hair metal thing was the year before. They didn't come back out, you know, doing some of those big sort of studio slash you know live type concert things with big puffy hair and blow dryers and things. You know, they never you know conformed to an image. Um, they they held firm to their own sense of of what they wanted to achieve. Yeah. And you know, in many cases they tick all the boxes there. Um, as I said, in terms of sort of uh, uh, an album that has historical legacy and people rave and talk about, I think I think this is an album that commercially is on a lot of people's sort of uh, uh, shelves at home around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but artistically speaking, um, they could have probably uh, musically taken a bigger leap. And look, at the end of the day, that's probably what motivated them to go back with Mark Opus. They probably thought, well, look, you know, Mark is somebody we really, really respect and, you know, he, he, he's somebody they sought, you know, counsel with over the time, even when they weren't recording with him. And, um, you know, as we know with Welcome, you know, when we review that one, there were so many left turns and right yeah. turns on that album. Yeah. So um, I think from a, a, just a, the zeitgeist point of view, X is a really, really good album. It's a really good collection of songs. Uh, there's some really varied stuff on there. There's some stuff that's, you know, hones and sounds cohesive. Uh, there's a couple of songs that are dated on there that we've sort of said that sort of production-wise probably are a bit symptomatic of their times, but nowhere near the uh, echelons of uh, Warrant and Bon Jovi and Skid Row and some of those bands at the time that sound very, very steeped in 1989, Yeah, 90. yeah, exactly. Okay, let's go back to Nick Egan and hear some more of those backstories. I remember being very much part of the discussions of the naming of the album and they were tossing some things around and X came up and it had a good, yeah, X, because of ecstasy, X, I think it marked some 10th anniversary of theirs, a 10th anniversary. And I just said to the time, that's got to be the, that's got to be the name. It, it makes perfect sense because it's also the X in, in excess. It's a after kick, which I thought was a brilliantly sim, simple, never forget title. X was like the next best thing after that. It was just a one single word. It was like X rated or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, you know, kiss. It meant a kiss. It had so many different meanings, and um, and I thought that is a. I told the band, I said, That's, that has to be it. That, you know, that, that has to be. I said because it's it's a it's a dream graphically. And you can brand it anywhere. So, so they decided on, on X. And that is where I worked into that logo because I thought about the NXS logo and I thought, what do they used to think NXS were called? Inksies. And a lot of people did think it was Inksies. So I decided I was going to break it up into INXS. So it read more like NXS than it did when it was in one line. And so I, and I actually think that's their best logo, that one I did for the X cover, the, the I leaning on the N and the X in red and the S, because to me it reads more like in excess than INXS in a line. That's the reason I did that. But also I, I highlighted the X in red because the album was called X. And so I thought it was a pretty good piece of logo design. It was easy. You can have it small, you can have it big. It worked on a T-shirt and various things like that. 
So that, that was that. That was in the background. But the concept for the X cover came from Michael's ring. Michael, and you'll see it on the front. It had this great ring. It was like a ring with like an emerald or a green stone in it. And I used to think it looked like a superhero's ring, you know, and it had powers. And, and so that's what gave me the idea of it. I thought, well, okay, let's make, let's make him like almost like a comic book, superheroes, like Kirk looks like he's flying. They look like they're a gang that's going to, a gang of superheroes, like the, the Fantastic Four or something like that, except for the six of them. And Andrew was holding his guitar like a weapon. And, and it was, yeah, basically, don't fuck with us, we're in excess. You know, was was the attitude on it, and I think every single guy in that those further us. Gary looks great, John looks great, Kurt looks great, Tim looks great, Andrew looks great, and Michael looks great. And I purposely made it so it wasn't a complete like it wasn't a complete comic book. It's a little bit like I did with a Kick when I did the the false perspective of them looking like they're all in one shot, but they're not in one shot, and then the um different um, sizes were slightly off. I did something similar to this where it looked like one big ball of energy and this was in excess. And to me, that's what they were starting to represent at this point. They were this, they were like superheroes. Um, and in fact, I'm looking at the picture now and I'm thinking how great Andrew looks in that holding that guitar. Um, so that was the concept of that. But this was also at the time when vinyl was really on the way out and CDs were starting to come in. So I was already having to deal, and this was probably one of the first albums that I dealt with. Where I still went for the gatefold sleeve. Well, I had to think about the, the CD because now the CD was going to be start to become the prim, premium way of selling a record. And, you know, ultimately they were going to try and phase vinyl out. I don't think any of us knew at the time. But anyway, so CDs came in. So because we had the budget and because we had the gatefold with X, I wanted to do something very special with the um, with the CD packaging, and so I'd always really been loved those uh, like diorama um, pop up greeting cards, you know, that you get for kids. You'd open it up, and 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 the figures would stand up in front of you, and and I, I love the construction of it and the engineering of it, and and how it worked, and so I I wanted to to take the superhero thing another step further. So with the CD, I made it a gatefold, and when you open it up, I think it's very rare. I think I've got one copy of it. But when you open it up, they kind of stand up in there. So it carried that superhero, which is kind of a hit of its time now when you think of all the movies and everything, with superhero crazy. But this was like in excess of superhero. And even the logo looked like it could be a superhero's logo. Um, but I didn't go all the way and make it kitsch superhero um and they look tough and mean in that so so for the um cd i decided to uh go for that get the expense on that so that when people bought the cd they got the special thing that was different it was a different layout from the front cover of the album because in the front cover cover of the album it's kind of looking down on the band as if you're up high and they're coming up towards you on the CD, they were much more on, on the sort of the horizon with Michael in the foreground and then behind him. Um, and that took some construction, some engineering to make that, to make it actually work when you opened it. It stood up and it was flat. Um, I even got things done like the inside of the, of the actual um, package was blue or black inside. We went to that kind of thing. It was like we didn't want to have it white. So I went to every detail to make sure that we got something special on every <clears throat> on every 
side you could possibly have of that particular package. It was also, though, the time when, in order to compete with vinyl, they needed to have um, they needed to, to, to have it not as a small CD, but in a, what they called a long box. So it was like a, an extension of the CD. So it would be, I think a long box was something like 12 by 5 or something like that, because they needed to use the racks that they had vinyl in. And vinyl's 12 inches, so this long kind of extended thing, and inside it was the... So you had a lot of work to do. You had to design the cover and the insides, and you had to design the long box, design the vinyl, design the, the cassette. Um, and then we did a lot of the photographs out... Um, where Richard Lowenstein shot um, Suicide Blonde, where these dunes are, and I can't remember the name of the place. It was near actually where we did, where they did, um, they did uh, mediate as well, um, in that part of, of, I think it's North Shore of Sydney somewhere. Um, but the difference was, there's this wonderful thing about Australia and its, and its kind of community, and it's kind of small, and everyone kind of knows each other in the, in the business. And it's a bit too familiar sometimes, you know. I mean, you know, Grant knew the band really well, so there was a lot of piss-taking and a lot of, like, people weren't really taking it seriously and trying to get them all to stand in one place. And I learned this a while back about never trying to do the, a band as a group shot because it never usually works, not for an album cover. You've got to split them up because if you had two of them on the set waiting for the rest of them, by the time the rest of them got there, the two that were waiting had left. It was like having children. So I, Michael Howard's band brought the different... It's like when I came into the artwork, I came from the outside. So they they took it a little bit more seriously and they, they it wasn't so much that they behaved themselves, but they they were a lot more focused, I think, on, on this cover. And Michael had done, like I said, he came from GQ magazine. He even did my a portrait of me for Andy Warhol's interview magazine when I did a, an article for, for Andy for that magazine. And he and he we did the Malcolm McLaren the inside cover for the Malcolm McLaren that rock album that I did, and and like I said, he got a really really good. He, he, it was really good with men and making men look look really good and masculine and and good looking and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so he but he brought because he was from the outside. They kind of like took him a little bit more seriously, but he also had a great sense of humour with him. He really made them relaxed, and 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 I think that. There was the sarcasm that perhaps Grant might have had was different from the humour that Michael had. It was very American, very positive, very, come on, guys, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and I thought he brought a different energy, energy to, that, to that package. So, um, so that was basically, a, a, again, I kind of had the idea going into it um, about making it very different and making sure this time that the band were on the cover, but I was always obsessed about how can we have the band on the cover and make it not look like they're in one photo? And I knew that I couldn't have one person or two people on the cover this time. I had to have them all on there. And that was the um, solution I came up with. Um, and then the, the, Michael's ring. So it was Michael's ring that really kind of kind of gave the gave the clue away and gave me the, the, the idea. The other thing that was really important at that time, especially with Michael and Sydney, was these two designers called um, Morrissey and Edmiston. It's um, Peter Morrissey and Leanna Edmiston, I believe was their, their name. Anyway, they were, they were really fantastic Australian designers from Sydney. And Michael loved their clothes, and I loved their clothes too. They, they did the Michael striping, stripey uh, pants that he wore on, at Wembley with a star on. He did um, the kind of parka that they wore and Michael's green and blue striped 
trousers in the um, on the cover of X, and the shirt, the famous silver shirt. They did the silver shirt that that was um, using the Suicide Blonde video. And Michael really, I'm surprised actually that they didn't go on to become more international celebrities, uh, Morrissey and Emerson. They were fantastic designers. They were great tailors. They did amazing women's wear. But I think they were so far removed. And I think In Excess, and Michael in particular, helped get them some notoriety. And, and you know, they clo- but their clothes are really beautifully made and great. And I was lucky enough to walk away with some of the clothes. So that is that for now. And if I think of anything else, I'll come back to you. Sort of the bonus track edition album, and what I would like to do is a little bit of an exercise, you know, for for NXS fans, you know, is just talk about the bonus tracks that didn't make this album. And I had a bit of a sort of a crazy idea, be like this album to me, like they're all nearly every NXS album is like a nine, nine and a half out of ten, and you know, this one's uh, probably in that same sphere for me um, because they're just the songs on this particular album. Uh, that I think are fantastic. I think they picked largely the right singles except for The Stairs. I think Lately could have been a single. Yes. Uh, uh, what I thought would be sort of an interesting exercise is mm. just to share, you know, with the listeners, uh, the uh, about 2002, I think it was, they uh, were getting a lot of reissues coming out. And I guess when bands are in hiatus, you know, record companies want to re-release material and extra tracks and things. But Around about 2002, I was in America and there was this remastered version of X that came out. And I think Kick came out at the same time and Welcome and a few different albums and things. But um, it was interesting to see the songs that were basically not uh, included on X. But, you know, in hindsight, looking back, uh, there's some really good, strong material that didn't make it onto the album. And uh, just, to, just to share with the listeners, um, we may just put a little snippet or two on B uh, okay. through our beautiful post-production work. But uh, uh, when they came back with this particular extra, um, you know, bonus tracks edition, the first song that was a, a bonus track that was sort of effectively number 12 on the album was a song called Waiting To Be Free. Yeah, here we go. on these podcasts is Deepest Red uh, that uh, ended up being a B-side of Heaven Sent, which was the next sort of album uh, that came out with, uh, or Heaven Sent on the album of Welcome. Uh, a John and Michael composition, still in my top 10 in excess songs. Uh, somehow this only made the bonus track edition, the remastered version. Uh, for those who haven't heard it or heard me waffle on about it, let's put a bit of Deepest Red on B. No problem. Here comes, 
right, next one down here is a song you like, B, is Salvation Jane, uh, which uh, did become a hit in Australia for Jenny Morris and uh, end up on NXS's sort of uh, greatest hits. And there's two versions of this song, one sung by Mike and one sung by uh, Andrew. Uh, and I really love this song. I think it's a great song. Uh, would have loved it to be on the album. But uh, take it away for the listeners who haven't heard Salvation Jane. Salvation Jane. Now, the next two songs, uh, we're going to join together. They're, they're actually uh, demo versions of existing songs off the album. Um, and one's called Who Pays the Price, a demo version. And the second one is called The Dark of Night because it didn't have the By My Side chorus bit. So uh, we're going to play how these sounded in demo format and you can compare them to what they ultimately sounded like on the album. So take it away, B. And you cry in the daylight The sun in your face Even though you know you're not alone And it's all been felt before Stare out through the window And wonder if there's gonna be more It brings it down It's like a wall I wish you were. 
So they were sort of five extra songs that came sort of on the demo version. And um, obviously I knew Waiting to be, uh, sorry, I knew Deepest Red through, you know, the B-side. Um, I knew Salvation Jane through Jenny Morris. Uh, the demo versions were interesting, I guess, seeing how a song goes from sort of initial creation to ultimate conclusion. Uh, and Waiting to be Free, I thought it was a killer song that um, was really, really uh, unfortunate to miss out. So I sort of thought, B, in the interest of retrospective and hindsight, we might recreate the X album and see if we can come up with a little bit more killer and remove a bit of filler. What do you oh, think? Oh, yeah, let's do that. I like the idea so, of that. Yeah. So uh, for the listeners last week, if you haven't heard our episode, uh, we will sort of, you know, just give you the 30-second version at the moment. But uh, we both agreed, I think, pretty wholeheartedly, this album starts off pretty strong with Suicide Blonde. and Definitely. It's got to you know, be that one to begin with, yeah. That one-two punch we're really happy with. Um Obviously, uh, the stairs. Uh, I've convinced you in the last two weeks. That okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we'll straighten up a little bit. You like the song, but you I don't like do. the pacing of it. Is that right? Yes. Right. Okay. But, but then, is, but then yeah. I like lately's intro. Yeah. I was trying to think. Why do I like? I think it's because it goes bam, do 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 do. I, yeah. I like. Okay. Whereas the one just keeps going and yeah. going. Well, you know, this. I mean, sometimes. A band wants to have an epic song that sort of starts. Think of Champagne Supernova, you know, from uh, yeah, you know, Oasis. It's like eight, nine minutes, you know, some of these songs. Yeah. I mean, but this this is sort of like this this musicality where it builds and grows. But I don't want to keep selling it. I'm going to move on. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> it doesn't uh, give me the feeling of Champagne Supernova or Lately, okay? Well, you know, anyway, anyway. It's, it's, I know uh, it gives um, – I'm just going to shout out that Laurie thinks it's very um, a sexual song for her, but we won't say any more than that. Okay. She says, don't mention it, but there you go, I did. Okay, Laurie, bad luck. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we grew up with a song in Australia called Burn For You by NXS, which is a massive hit here, one of still the most popular songs here and, again, pre-international sort of acclaim. But uh, that had a very similar intro, about 60 seconds, where it's just more of a, you know, a groove and a jam and then eventually leads into the song itself. So, um, but anyway, The Stairs to Me, third off the album, is a really strong opening, you know, trifecta. Like, I think, for me, when I look back at NXS's career, that's the strongest three set of songs that I look on on all their albums, like as a one, two, three punch. And, you know, as a listener, when I got the album and was getting into it, I'm like, wow, like what a comeback, you know, if you think about, you know, bring that together. Now, Faith in Each Other, you know, we said it sort of sounds a little bit dated, but, you know, it uh, it's it's not a bad song, so I'm happy to keep it there at four. And then We could get Marco Pitts to just reproduce that one. It'd be great. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, yeah. But, yeah. but then you got By My Side at five. Now, you just look at that mm. front side there, and then right. lately at six, you go, what a, that's a bloody great, great start, album, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, from that sort of point of view, look at those that six and go, wow, this is awesome. And then... When I, you know, look at who pays the price, I go, well, you know what, we're going to give that the flick. If we're going to retrospectively reprogram this, well, that to me is where the album started to dip when I turned over on sort of the second side. Mm. Um, so I'm putting uh, Deepest Red uh, as our sort Ooh, of uh, as nice. our opening, uh, yeah, opening song on the second side. We're on the flip side. On the flip side uh, for, for our Gen Xs and Gen Gen. A, Bs and Cs or whatever. Where about? Pre-millennials. Uh, yeah, we had this thing called a tape and a record where you turned it over and played the other side. Um, so, yeah, so lately then into Deepest Red as the starting song on That's the right. B side. Uh, know the difference. I'm keeping that. I like that. Thank you. Um, 
I, 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 you know what the lyrics I really like in that song, and I forgot to mention last week, but uh, where he says, she's got instinct, she's got class. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, you leave that guy on his ass. <laughs> you know, <laughs> good intentions, I want to know. <laughs> okay, I'm not a All right, that's a great no, thing. Sorry. There you go. <laughs> but anyway, so that that's a, that's a good little funky, strong song there. It's a great little funky number. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we then go into Bitter Tears, which is fine. I've sort of semi sort of cheated here a little bit. Um, I'm so glad you have because that I, song, I just love this song. Go on, tell me. Oh, tell me. okay. You've seen my list. Okay. Okay, so, oh. so, so when NXS did their greatest hits album uh, in 94, they got Chris Thomas back to do two songs. Now, uh, more learned people out there may know, but I just was wondering whether they had written these songs around the time of recording the album or whether these related to X. I have some vague memory that The Strangest Party might have been written around the X time uh, because that the song The Strangest Party was a hit off the greatest hits. Yes. Now, if I'm, I'm sneaking in here, and maybe I'm using a bit of creative license here, but... Because uh, it's a Chris Thomas track and, and Chris was very much yes. around. And I've got a feeling it may have been written and sort of, you know, maybe just demoed around that time. But be a good um, one to ask about that one, wouldn't it? When yeah. we get one of so them on. This, yeah. In the, in the absence of anyone who can trump me, and I'm sure someone will text in like Pedro or MM, but uh, I'm going to slip a Chris Thomas track in there, The Strangest Party at number Woo-hoo! 10. Okay. <laughs> Love it. All right, so we've uh, flicked off on my way. It can go on its See, way. See, we could we could actually stop there, but you're not. You're going to carry on, aren't you? We're going to flip. Waiting to be free in there, Ooh, okay? Which is nice. Adding that in. Yeah. So this is a this is a twelve song album, our X album, and then we're going to have hear that sound staying there as that sort of epic outro song uh, there as well, so number twelve. So. So just to do the running order, side one, suicide blonde, disappear, the stairs, faith in each other, by my side lately. It's all as is. Second side, okay, in, deepest red, out, who pays the price, okay? Uh, remaining, know the difference, uh, bit of tears. Uh, in, the strangest party, okay, out, on my way. In, waiting to be free, nothing out. And then the, hear that sound retains itself uh, as the sort of the 12 there. So um, maybe with our own sense of compilations and all sorts of things, B, we, we can all design our own greatest hits. That's my... That's my, and, and look, apologies to Salvation Jane. That nearly got in there. Nearly like got that's in. That's not yeah. a bad, bad, bad thirteenth song that just missed the cut. Mm. So uh, yeah, but I think it, it again for me it was just you know uh, a little bit of a couple of fillers on the second side. But uh, I think overall the band should be proud of it all. Um, it was part of that sort of you know as I said three tiered album period with Chris between eighty five and nineteen ninety, and um, you know. The, their second biggest album that they ever released in terms of sales. That's right. When we do the welcome to wherever you are review, I'm really interested just for the listeners to, to just to probably educate a little bit, if I could, just the artistic leap that that album was like, that's the next studio album, some two years after this album. And just to compare some of the musicality and the sounds of that album in such a short period of time um, and just how sort of fresh it still sounds. And I think that's a, a credit to Mark's production and things like that, that it still has a sheen and a freshness to it, but a sort of an edginess to it as well. And the, the, the versatility of the sounds on that particular album probably in some ways, you know, may have meant that if they released that after, you know, kick, maybe things might've worked out different, who knows. But um, um, that's sort of the X album. Um, as, as we've heard throughout this particular episode, we've also heard a little bit from Nick Egan, who uh, was a uh, guy behind the album cover, uh, which is uh, a cool cover. Um, and we've heard little snippets throughout, I guess, this episode just about his involvement with that, which has been great, hasn't it? Not only the cover and the logo. Mm. Yeah. 
So look, listeners, that's X in the uh, the archives now. Um, I think, as I said, you know, we've given our sort of thoughts on it, et cetera, as well. Uh, and look, hopefully, it's something if you haven't listened to it for a while, uh, delve deep. Uh, if you've just been a singles person over time, listen to singles and stuff like that, well, you know, there's some good nuggets on here, both within the, the, the official album and the bonus track edition that hopefully we've shared with you that sort of allow you to go back and listen. And as I said, I've had a lot of joy in the last few years just diving deep on sort of the Prince, uh, you know, collection, listening to a lot of album tracks outside all the hits. And, you know, there's so many great songs from some premier artists you know, people like Springsteen and U2 and, and um, um, you know, In Excess and, and uh, you know, a lot of these major artists, they were, you know, prone to, you know, making albums and making sure every song could be its best, not just pumping out singles. So if there are some things you don't know uh, or you're just relatively, you know, not aware of this album as much as you are, you can really do yourself a favour by, you know, downloading and, and examining some of the non-singles you don't know. Welcome to the strangest party, baby Welcome to the strangest party, baby Oh, Hayden, we forgot to put um, the, um, the our three, three favourite songs in for the Spotify list. We need to ah, do that. Well, actually, we might even have four, I think. Is that four? right? Four? We do. Yeah, well, we'll That's negotiate. All right. Let, we'll let's see. see. Let's see. Okay. Yeah, like, just quickly for the listeners out there, we've tried, we're putting together this ultimate non single Spotify in excess playlist just to show and share really with the wider community just how many great non singles that they had. So, uh, like we've done on the uh, past albums, we'll try to find three or four songs that weren't really released as official singles and uh, deserve your attention. So, B, uh, throw one at me and uh, we'll see if we can get consensus. That's how we do it. You've got the new ball. I think we can both definitely agree on Lately. Yeah, it's yes, in. It's, it's in. in. Yeah, okay, yeah. all right. That, okay. Mid, that middle eight guitar riff in the middle alone gets it in. So there you go. Well, no, uh, no. The, the, the saxophone at the beginning, what are you talking about? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that's, isn't that the more on the live version, the big saxophone intro? Mm, beautiful. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Okay. Okay. All right, I'm going to throw, I'll throw one at you. Uh, see, here we go. You hear that sound? Yes. Okay, let's do yep. it. Okay. Epic song. Uh, even, though, even though I missed one verse in terms of greatness, it's still uh, mm-hmm. a, a, gra- a great song that we think that uh, listeners who haven't heard it or personally only heard it would enjoy if you put some time into it. All right. All right, my turn. Yeah. Uh, know the difference. Ooh, close. What do you mean? Ooh. Close. Uh, Come on. Better than the one you're going to put in. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Am I sensing negotiation? I'll tell you what, I'll give you no difference if you give me the stairs. (laughs) Of course you can have the stairs. (laughs) (laughs) If we don't get the stairs in, you will have the stair. (laughs) I know. I know. All right. No, the difference is in. The stairs is in. Let's add them into the playlist. Listeners, do yourself a favor. Okay. Thank you. All right. This is Felicia Marie from Carmadale. This is Clarkie from San Francisco. This is Ember from Ohio. Is that right? Or a B episode forty-five in the can. Uh, stars on forty-five, eh? <laughs> God, when was that? that? Was that in the eighties? No, it was about nineteen eighty-one. They had that sort of Beatles mega mix going with oh. the sort of. The stars on forty five, you know. Um, yeah, great but, disco uh, tunes. Yeah, yeah. It was that was this, that's it was the pre Jive Bunny uh, era. That Remember Jive Bunny? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, Ooh. but um, 
yeah. So look, fan engages. We like to really sort of share people who are contributing, uh, you know, to the podcast, uh, and you know, I guess contributing amongst each other on some of the social platforms, and uh, just highlight some if you want to have in excess talk during the week or band talk or build uh, your involvement in the community. Uh, over to you, B, to share those who have been doing so. Okay, well, today I'm going to share some of these guys because they're the guys that came and um, interacted with me when I did my little live thing in the week. So I'd like to say thank you very much for um, helping me out and uh, keeping me going on that day. So there's Susan, Billy, Chuck, Lisa, Alison, Crystal, Val, Mark, Kath, Laurie, um, Sheila, Frederica, Nadine, Ben, Rhett, Dari, Philip, Alan, and Ben. Did you recognize a name in there? Was that Rhett? Yes. Yeah. I was about to say, is that the Rhett? Yes, it was the Rhett. <laughs> yeah. He we, says, we, good eye. Yeah. I think <laughs> he's on SBS this week with an interview, isn't he? Yes, he was. It was, yeah. um, it was quite a tearjerker, actually. It was very sad. But yeah. um, you see that he's um, running with quite a lot of emotion with that as well. Yeah. So um, good on you, Rhett, for going and doing that. And Mandy, his ex-wife, was there um, supporting him. It was quite, um, quite nice to see them together. Okay. Um, while we talk about that, though, I just want to shout out to um, a few ladies. I'm doing it a bit tough. So I'm just going to say hey to Danielle and Foxy and to Val and uh, just to say, just keep playing in excess and uh, they'll get you through, okay? And we, we're thinking yeah. of you. 100%. All right. Now, competitions. Uh, you've got some people to announce who maybe have won and maybe the next competition. Is that right? I do, I do. Okay, so the Mark Opitz competition. All right, well, I think the question, B, from memory was uh, which song did NXS nearly record uh, for the uh, Australian Made Tour uh, instead of Good Times? Because I think they had something in mind. Uh, and right up to the end there, they had that sort of almost penciled in. And I think the uh, singer of that band had come into the studio as well to sort of maybe be a part of. It. And then right at the last minute, they decided to go with Good Times. But uh, that song was a song called Turn Up the Radio. So we'll have a little bit of a snippet of the original. Over to you. Rock and roll and you're still doing it now. Fifteen years today and you remember how. You're gonna hear it now blasting out the radio. To the music now, turn up your radio Uh, called the Masters uh, Apprentices and turn up the radio. So uh, that was the winning answer, B. Yeah. We have a bunch of winners. Yes, we had lots of entries, but we can only give away three books. So the first person was Virginia. Congratulations, Virginia. We're in within seconds. And then we had Linda and Laurie.
And um, I've got two tickets to go and see Andrew Farris in concert. So we've started off a new competition for this week and next week. The, um, it will be on until the 1st of April. So you've got until the 1st of April. And what we're going to do is collect all the winners and we're going to put you all into Andrew Farris's hat. Oh, and wow. and Andrew and said he will put his hand in this hat and he'll pick out the winner for us. Oh, wow. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. awesome. Very, very good. So, okay. That's a big hat. So we could get a lot of winners massive answering the question, hat. can't we? Huh? Yeah, it's a massive hat. Some real Alice in Wonderland with that hat going, isn't there? <laughs> you know, like some real, like you could dive into that hat, hat and go down the rabbit, you know, hole, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A couple of weeks ago in episode 44, we mentioned that Andrew had been living with someone's famous son. So you need to go back and listen, unless you remember, and if you can give us the answer, the answer would be who did Andrew Ferris lived with and whose famous son was that? So if you could send your answers to inexcess aaa at gmail.com and we're going to collect everyone's answers and we're going to put them into Andrew's hat and you will be the winner of two tickets to go and see Andrew anywhere in Australia closest to you on his new tour which is very exciting so um, yeah go go listen and enter Time's going out. As I said, you know, this album didn't have a lot of legacy of, of cover versions and songs. I mean, there are stuff on YouTube and things like that, but um, it's not to say the quality album was compromised, but uh, I think that, um, you know, go to cover versions are a little bit few and far between of tracks on this album. However, this is a song we'd like to play a little bit further, and we gave a snippet earlier of one of the bonus tracks that nearly made it onto the album. This was a sort of an Andrew sort of composition only, and whether that had a, a reason why it didn't make it onto the album, because every song on this album was a co-write. If it was either John and uh, Michael or it was Andrew uh, and uh, Michael, and and I think in By My Side's case, Chris Thomas and Kirk had an involvement with that. But uh, this song is Waiting To Be Free, uh, in our humble opinion, should have made it to the final listings. Uh, we will pay, play the whole version for you now and tell you why through listening away that this should have made it. Hopefully you feel the same way and enjoy it as much as we do. So it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from B. Bye, everyone. <laughs>
thought I'd sneak this one on because I quite like it. Welcome to the strangest party, baby. Welcome to the strangest party, baby. Welcome to the strangest party, baby. Welcome to the strangest party, baby.
After 11 hours I've been sitting here editing this show, I really deserve to have good old dance. (laughs) So I'm glad I did it and I hope you enjoyed it too. Be back next week.